This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Welcome back, everyone. We have been on a little tiny hiatus. I suppose you could say it has been a while since we have been recording podcasts, either for the Laravel News podcast or for our own. So it's good to be back. Michael, are you back in Australia these days? Back in Australia and freezing. It's It was a very big shock to the system after spending three weeks in the in the US in the middle of our winter coming back home. And as soon as the airport doors opened, I said to my wife, can we please turn around and buy a ticket and go back to somewhere warm? So, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that was not allowed. She had to go back to work and I had a new job to start. Uh, and so here we are back in completely wrong time zones and all rugged up. Yeah. So how was, uh, we are both obviously just coming off of Laracon 2017, coming back from New York City. Uh, did you have a good time this year? I had a great time. I think it helped that I was there for longer than just the conference days. Uh, last year was a bit brutal in that respect, but um, yeah, being able to hang around in the US, being able to check out New York before the conference and then to still be around in the States after the conference was a lot of fun. Um, we had a great time down in Orlando in, in Disney World and Universal, even though I think we were there for six days. We ended up getting rained out on five of those days to the point where our last day in Orlando, we were watching one of the um, entertainment at the Disney's Animal Kingdom. And halfway through the last show, it rained so hard that they canceled the show. Oh, no. And then we had basically the entire park empty out all at the same time. So, oh, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you guys did more traveling in like three weeks in the US than I've probably done in my lifetime. You guys were uh, in, Were you? did you land in California? Were you just short time there yeah. or did you fly straight to Chicago? We landed in California and then we had a five-hour layover before heading straight to Chicago. So California, Chicago, stayed in Chicago for a while, got some Giordano's pizza, went on a little Segway tour, got to go see the Millennium Park, all that stuff. Yeah. Left from there, went to Washington, D.C., got to do all your fun stuff there, then went to New York City, then went to Orlando, and then back home. Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a good trip. It was very relaxing. And uh, yeah, we got back, we left on the Wednesday. I think we were up at 4 a.m. to get our first flight, uh, which was Orlando to San Francisco via Phoenix. So we had a little like 50 minute stop over in Phoenix just to change planes basically. And then we had a full 12 hours or so in San Francisco. So I wasn't going to let the opportunity slip. I hired a Tesla Model S. Nice, that's awesome. And we drove around the Bay Area so I went out to Oracle Arena, went to uh, see the Golden Gate Bridge. We drove all the way down to Apple Campus, to Apple Park, to Google and Facebook. And uh, yeah, yeah, just had a, had a bit of fun driving around in a car that I probably won't own anytime in the near future. <laughs> That's pretty fun. That is pretty fun. Uh, I'm going to do something that I do with my kids every night at the at the dinner table, which is we do good thing, bad thing. My kids love this. I don't know why. They always say good thing, bad thing, good thing, bad thing. They want to do this. So we're going to do this about Laracon this year. So 
your good thing and your bad thing. So you have to say one good thing. You have to say one bad thing. The reason we say one bad thing is because like if my kids and my a friend gave me this advice, he's like, if your kids come home from school, you know, you know, maybe they had a rough day. Like you want to give them an opportunity to tell you yeah. like if something bad happened, right? It's not like just only ever tell me the good things that happened in your life. So good thing, bad thing. What was your favorite thing? And what was something that like we can improve for next year? Laracon. Um, well, really the good thing was being there. I think the the venue is really good. I think seeing everyone was really good. Um, most of the talks were really good. The only real bad thing I think for me was that it was only a two-day conference this year. So you really had one day less to hang out with everybody. And it's really hard, especially once you sort of find a group of people like I did last year that I wanted to hang out with and I only get to see them once a year. It was a bit bit disappointing to only be able to spend a couple of days with everyone. So nothing, nothing really bad about the conference as such, just just not being able to spend as much time with people as you might have liked. Yeah, I thought for a good thing for me, I thought all the talks this year were super, super practical. They were all very useful. There was a lot of good stuff where it was like, oh, we're dealing with an actual code base here. We're looking at something that we can refactor or here's a situation that you might run into. And oh, yeah, I've run into that five times. Right. And so I, I really enjoyed the talks a lot this year. I thought there was a lot of immediate applications. So that was awesome. Uh, same thing for me, though. Bad was like, you know, I don't know. I would have always considered myself like, yeah, I'm like a city person. I like the city and stuff. But New York City, I got there early. I was in there like I got there Friday. Friday was there through Wednesday. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was. It's so busy. Yeah. So busy all the time. And that's really fun for a while. Uh, but uh, after a little while, I was kind of like, all right, I'm ready to, you know, I can I can do this <laughs> yeah. for a little while. I can hang with these people for a while. Uh, by the time I got home, I was like, oh, yeah, it's good to be yeah. good to be home. Slow down a little bit. And I think, of course, that was magnified being that we were in Times Square and stuff, too. So yeah. that, was, that was a pro and a con, too, because like there's tons of stuff to do, plenty of places to eat. But it can also, you know, be like hard to find a table because there's so many people. Yeah. And uh, with the only having it two days, I really enjoyed last year that we had that extra day, that that day at the beginning, which was kind of what did they even call that? Oh, this is tutorial day. It wasn't like a science fair track. Yeah. It was like tutorial day. Yeah. yeah. But having like three days was was pretty awesome. So. So we'll see. Maybe yeah. they'll maybe they'll do something like that for this coming year. I knew New York's always going to be very busy, but I wonder if it was kind of magnified because it's also summer holidays over there. Mm hmm. Yeah, like, possibly. Like Disney World possibly. and Universal was really, really busy. Um, like a lot of the rides, they were, you know, 80 minutes, two hour wait times. And I thought, you know, because we had multiple days, it was all right because I could come back and after figuring out what I wanted to go on, go straight to those rides. But for the most part, we just looked at the wait times and my wife doesn't really go on any rides. So I'm not going to have you sit and just wait for two hours for me to go on a ride that lasts for 90 seconds. So... Maybe that's yeah. all part of the fun, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is. If you're going to go on the ride. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. That's funny. So wait, did you say that she doesn't, she doesn't do rides? No, you, I mean, she went on saying? a few of them, but she, the majority of ones that I went on, uh, she was not interested in. So there's, there was this Hulk ride at Universal Studios, which was a lot of fun. There was some Harry Potter rides, a traditional roller coaster, which you like sit in a cart. Sure. There's a ride in Universal Studios where basically you're hanging and the and it's suspended from the top. So you, your feet are just dangling over space and it and it spins you around and upside down and side to side and that that kind of thrill is not uh not in her wheelhouse. Nice. Yeah. That's 
Uh, I've only ever gotten sick on a couple of those sorts of things, but when you get sick like that, it just ruins like the rest of your day. It's yeah. not worth it, you know? Um, okay. Well, uh, let's jump right into kind of some of the stuff that's been going on. It has been a couple of weeks since we've had a show. The last show that we had was with all of the quote unquote big dogs, right? So Taylor and Adam and Matt and Jeffrey, and I'm not leaving anybody out of my... Yep. Yep. And so we talked about some of the things that uh, we would have talked about custom validation rules. I think we talked about some of the conditional if uh, stuff then blade uh, the directives that made it in. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. We might touch on that again in this show. But uh, the first thing I wanted to mention right out of the gate is something that I have been hoping to have in my tool belt for a long time and somebody finally made it. So Ziggy is a package that you may have seen kind of floating around on Twitter. It was posted by Daniel Colborn. I believe there is a post out there on the Titan Co. blog as well. And it is essentially gives you the ability to share your routes from Laravel to JavaScript. And so it's pretty clever the way that they the way that they inject it into the page. So it essentially grabs all of your named routes out of your routes file because there's really no point in doing, you know, grabbing the ones that aren't named routes because why yep. would you then you might as well just be hard coding them, right? Correct. Um, so it grabs all your named routes and all the parameters that they may may or may not need and uh, basically creates a little JavaScript object out of that that will get injected in your page along with a little route helper function that you can consume from anywhere in your application because it's on the window object. So I was wondering how they were going to do that. I was like, how are they going to make this little route helper that's going to get pushed on there? But they, what they have is they have a little blade directive that you just include on your page or in any of your pages. And it will push all those routes onto your page as an object and then give you that little route helper at the very at the very top as well, which is a, I thought was pretty neat. So yeah. really looking forward to using that in the future as I have wanted that so many times. I think I've said that a couple of times on both of our podcasts, <laughs> yeah. that that would be so handy, including the time when we had Daniel and Caleb on. So Daniel is the author of this. He had some help from some other folks at Titan Co. But a uh, big shout out to Daniel for putting that out. Thanks, man. Very yeah. much appreciated. Absolutely. We've, I th I'm not sure if we've talked about responsible interfaces. I, I know it has been talked about a little bit. It was talked a little bit about at Laracon. It was talked a little bit about on our uh, previous show with the big dogs. Uh, do you want to just take a couple minutes to talk about what that is and why somebody might use it? Yeah. So in Laravel 5.5, which by the way, will be out later this month. So August after and or around Laracon EU. There is this new responsible interface and what this allows you to do is to basically convert uh, any object into a HTTP response um, and then return that directly from a controller or a route closure. So all it needs is a to response method and that will represent how the object should be presented in a HTTP response. So previously where you may have done Maybe you'd use Fractal or something like that or a presentation class to modify the object properties before you would push it out to your, uh, you know, to your consumer, right? And this, it seems like to me or it feels like to me that this is very much used for API responses is, was my take on it. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily like this is how you modify stuff that you're going to send back to a view. This is stuff that you're going to modify for like an API response. Yeah. I guess basically it'd be a nice way of consolidating any of your presentation logic. So what you would previously have done in a controller, 
you could then encapsulate inside one of these responsible objects and then just return an instance of that object directly in your controller. And I guess it helps keep the size of your controller methods quite small. Okay. So trying to think of a good example here, maybe what you would do is if by default, you would normally return all of the attributes off of a user. So if you were querying to find a user by email, if you said user where email is equal to email and you were just returning that user first or fail, if you had something where you're just going to return a small subset of the values that belonged on a user or the attributes that belonged on a user, you could do that inside this new class that's going to implement the responsible interface. If you had any like complex logic that was going to be happening. So if in addition to the user, you wanted to go grab their posts and then grab any of the images that belong with those posts. And maybe there's no easy way to, uh, you know, maybe that's not like a relationship. Maybe you have to query some third party service or something. You could do that inside this class and that wouldn't have to live in your controller then. So I suppose you could just clean it up, take some of that logic out of your controller and give it a place to live. Yeah. Yeah. Just some way of encapsulating any logic just so that you're not, you know, bloating your controller methods. Right. It's probably not a great example, but, uh, but it'll work. I'm sure as we go along, we'll find some great places to use it. And really, as some people have mentioned, like, oh, it's like uh, it could be as a replacement to like Fractal, right? So if you needed to transform some stuff before you had an API response, this would be a great great place to do that. So yeah. uh, again, just kind of giving you a little bucket to put stuff in to take it out of your controller, keep your controllers nice and clean and also reusable, right? So you could use this response class in other places. So you don't have you know you don't have to re-implement the same logic in other places. Yeah, it'd be well in that way you could package up like a user's object and then handle doing the responses of that and then sharing that between your applications for example sure so laravel horizon so if you were watching laracon or keeping uh, keeping up with anything that was going on you are aware that taylor was going to be announcing what the laravel horizon was michael do you want to tell us what that is yeah so horizon is basically a package you can install into your application that allows you to quote supercharge your queues with a beautiful dashboard and code driven configuration so what you what you might have previously been done is managing supervisor queues in something like forge and and figuring out how many workers you have and timeouts and things like that what horizon is is a package that you install into your existing application and then it allows you to manage your redis queues purely from configuration in code so if you ever needed to increase the number of workers or change the the queue timeouts or anything like that you can do it all directly through a config file in your application and then push those changes out and what horizon will do is automatically bounce your workers and handle that for you but it is also a dashboard for monitoring of those jobs so it will show you how many jobs have been running in the past minute in the past hour it will show you the wait times and and things like that on on your different queues but i think probably the most powerful feature that that was demoed for this would have to be the way that it manages automatically moving queue workers between your different basically between different queues so when one queue gets busy and one queue is sitting there idle horizon will automatically take the workers from the idle queue and allocate them to the busier one so that you can process those jobs a lot faster. Which is really cool because you may have 20 queue workers running, but 10 of them are supposed to be handling email and 10 of them are supposed to be handling file movement or maybe like transcoding or something like that, right? And so the, you know, at the first of the month, you send out reports to all of your users about how much of their storage they've used, right? So you queue up 10,000 emails to send and it's one in the morning, so you don't have anything happening with transcoding. 
And so what would happen is all of your workers that would normally be transcoding start moving over magically to your email queues and it would auto balance out and you would have 19 of them working on your email queue and one of them working on your transcode queue. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think that the thing that was the biggest one for me was failed job management. That's really huge. So right now it's just been kind of like, it's very manual and it's very annoying to have to go in and retry failed jobs. You have to go look at the database uh, and then it's always impossible to like read the payload that was coming through because it's like serialized. And then to retry them, you have to log into your server, you have to SSH in, and then you have to PHP Artisan queue retry. And then you have to go find the ID of the one that that failed and retry it. And then there's no association between the failed job and the new job that got pushed on. Unless you're looking at your, like your your jobs queue and like, you know, you note the ID of the one that just came on that you pushed mm. from your failed queues. But it was just, there was no easy way to correlate them, right? So with the failed job management, you can see uh, your failed job. And then when you retry it, it'll show you in that same panel, oh, here's the new job that tried with the same payload and everything. And then you can see if it passes or if it, you know, it completes successfully. So that's really, really cool. Uh, of note, it does only work with Redis right now. I'm not sure if there's other drivers coming in the future, uh, but it yeah. is only sort of a Redis thing right now. Yeah, I'm sure that it could be adapted for other drivers in future. I think Redis is probably a better option just because it's kind of made to be available as a multi-service setup. I think Beanstalk is kind of a one-server one situation. Makes it a bit tricky. You know, you have to manage different ones, whereas Redis is designed to be spread across multiple servers and things like that. So it's a good good starting point for it. It's it's super simple to get set up. If you're on Forge, I believe it's already set up. If you're wanting to do some testing on your on your, you know, valet environment, then it's nothing more than a brew install away. So Yeah. So in any case, I'm really looking forward to using it. I think it's going to be great. Uh, I already have a couple things that I'm going to use it for. I was curious to think about like, could you use this to monitor multiple applications? But I suppose it'd be like, you have one Redis install that's handling, maybe so maybe you have like a load balancer or something like that, but you have like only one Redis installation that's handling all your queues, probably. You might have multiple queue workers, you know? Yeah. I was trying to think if there'd be a way that I could have it handle multiple jobs across multiple applications, but I don't think that'd be an ideal no, situation. It's so. not. My understanding is that you install Horizon into each application that you need it to monitor. Um, it's not right. It's a know, package. Yeah, that would yeah, make sense. You don't install Horizon into you know a single thing that is like q.example.com and that will manage across all of your applications. So I wonder, like, I haven't I haven't messed with it much. So how do you? Uh, how do you get to it? Like once you've installed it, let's see here. So it's just via web UI. Right. I wonder what that what that is though. Like where do you go on your web UI to get to it? Slash horizon. Horizon yeah. exposes the dashboard to slash horizon. Yeah. Yeah. So it says by default, you will only be able to access this dashboard in the local environment. Hmm, cool. So you can set up whatever you want the horizon auth method to be. So you could say like it has to be a, a logged in user that has this email address. So you could set up like you know, only I'm allowed in or only people in my team who have a role of admin or whatever. Yeah, hook it into your existing authentication system. Yeah, cool. Awesome, I love it. Well, I'm gonna be using this in a couple different places then, like two or three that I can think of. Now I just have to learn how to deal with Redis. I've never done anything with Redis. Yeah, um, I think you'll be 
fairly set with Redis. It's not, you know, from a Laravel perspective, it's all driver based. So it's it's going to be the same as if you're using Beanstalk D or if you're using something else that was supported by Laravel. Forge servers all are all set up with Redis automatically anyway. So it's just a matter of deploying your application really and off you go. Beautiful. Love it. Okay. Let's see what else we got here. We're going to try and wrap this up in the next five minutes. Oh, We're going to go fast here. You can now actually see Taylor's uh, Laracon US keynote. So we'll link that up in the show notes, but he will do a much better job of explaining the whole thing for us because he's been working on it in secret for quite some time and we have not had a chance to get our hands on it a lot just yet. True story. Okay. You probably use one of these two things. You either use Valet or you use Homestead. And both of them have gotten new versions. So there is Valet 2.0.5. Yeah, I think my favorite part about this update is that when you do a restart or you do an install, it actually gives you some more feedback as to what's happening. Whereas previously, it would just sit there and you would wait and then it would say it was done. Now it would tell you that it's restarting Nginx or that it's restarting PHP or that it's you know restarting DNS mask. So it's nice to get that feedback just so you don't think it's got stuck. Yep. In addition, it supports uh, PHP 7.2 now, which is good. We've got a Magneto 2 driver, fixes for cake PHP, if you use that. It also will test for Nginx config errors before attempting to restart Valet. So that's kind of cool. So if you've modified your Nginx config, you know, sometimes you have to run, I don't know what the command is, I can't remember, but there's like the step to verify to make sure that it's actually a good config. Uh, Valet will run that for you before it restarts uh, Valet to make sure that you don't get this like, oh crap, Valet won't start because you have an Nginx config. Good luck mm-hmm. figuring that out. So uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, cool. Also, we have Homestead version six. Homestead version six. There it is. Okay. So Homestead 6, the biggest change here is that it's now going to support multiple versions of PHP in the same virtual machine. Look at that. So previously, you might have had different versions of Homestead for different applications running different versions of PHP. Now you can target the same version across the board and in your homestead.yaml file, you can simply specify the PHP version that you want it to use. So it supports three different versions, PHP 5.6, PHP 7.0, and PHP 7.1. And it is literally a matter of adding a PHP key into that homestead.yaml file and then the version of PHP, the supported version of PHP that you would like to use. That's really useful, especially for people who have to maintain code bases where you have to have something like PHP 5.6 because mm-hmm. it can be a pain to switch on Valet between different versions. I know you've had a, you've got something out there, a blog post and a little little uh, screencast on how to do that easily. Yeah. Uh, but this makes it trivial. You just add that key and you're done. Very yeah. cool. And this will probably be nicer, especially for my current environment, just to have a a PHP virtual machine. Some of the requirements for the project that, that I'm in now mean that it gets a bit hairy to just unlink and switch out the version of PHP that I'm using. So I may need to look at something a little little heavier. Cool. Version 5.4.29 is out and there are of note here, we have two new directives. So you have the at auth and at guest directives. So this is something that's, it's just, instead of saying at if auth check like that to see if somebody's logged in mm-hmm. uh, or auth guest to see if they're not logged in and then doing it that way, you just have the at auth and the at guest directives, which will basically package that up for you. So you yep. put at auth, uh, and then end at auth and you can have like, hey, your user's logged in, go ahead and display their 
avatar in the top right corner and a logout menu or something like that. Whereas if it's guest, you could have a login link on the top right corner. Yeah, yeah just makes it nice. This is a, a directive that I've often put into my own applications. And it's the kind of thing that once you see has been submitted as a as a pull request into the framework, you think, gee, I could have could have saved myself lots of effort. So I guess that's that's something to consider is that if you find yourself doing something project to project, it could be useful to other people. So consider submitting a pull request and, and helping everyone out. Yep, good idea. 5.4.32 uh, is out as well. Uh, in this one, we had custom validation rules, which again, we've talked about on the last show a little bit. It makes it easier to do custom if directives in Blade. But the thing that I am most excited about is this temporary URL method that is on the file system adapter. So I believe this is only implemented with S3 right now. So if you're using AWS S3, what you can do is you can say uh, like storage colon colon, uh, once you're using your S3 driver storage colon colon, then you can say uh, disk S3 and then temporary URL. And then you pass it the location of the, or the path to the resource and then a expiration as the next argument. And this will generate a temporary URL for you. So that's pretty cool. I believe the way that it does that is it uses the, you know, the SDK to in the background, go ahead and uh, make a request to AWS S3 and it will generate you this temporary link S3 will, and then it just returns that to you, which you can use. So pretty cool. I've had to implement that myself a couple of times where like I needed to download the SDK and include it in my yeah. uh, application so that I could do specifically this. So it'll be nice to just have it kind of out of the box now. Yeah. So the SDK, I think had a URL method maybe, and all it does is signs a URL. So it creates a signed URL with an expiration. So I don't, I don't believe it calls out to S3. You basically sign it using your API key. And then it's verified when you make the request out to uh, out to S3. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, run that by me again. So there's not it's not an API request to get a URL. What basically happens is that you know the name of the file and you've got the parameters to that file. So you sign the request saying, this is my signature proving that I have access to that file and I want to make it publicly available for a period of time. So that's where the signature comes in using that key. So it does like a hash HMAC over the request and sends that off as the signature in a similar way to you would with any API request in your application. So the secret URL portion of it happens on the Laravel side? Yeah. So Laravel is storing some sort of key that will, that when you come back... Well, it's, it's your API key that you use to access S3. So it uses that to create a signed request. Right. But doesn't it have to talk to S3 to do that or no? No. Because it's just H, hash H. Uh, it's just a, just a HMAC request. Here, look, 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 look. Yes, please send it to me. Maybe I don't. Maybe my understanding of how this works is flawed. I'm, I'm sure it probably is. But whenever I've had to do this in the past, I've always had to make a, like you know, I used the SDK and said, yeah, create a temporary URL for me, that expires in ten minutes. Yeah. So it's all it's doing is using some functionality within that, but it's not making an API request to get a URL. It's just generating one. Oh, you better find it now. Oh, I will. Because I had to implement it for Google. (laughs) So see, that's the thing. So you've got to use the Google cloud services. So you actually have to know how it works. Me, I'm like SDK, here's the method, blah, 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 (laughs) whatever. It works. I think it's making an API call. Sure. Here's the URL. It expires in 10 minutes. Have your way. Poor Michael. 
having to deal with Google Cloud services. Ugh. Well, not anymore. I saw somebody actually the other day singing the praises of Google Cloud services and stuff. Like they were like, have I mentioned how great it is? The the API or I can't remember if it was the API. There's like console stuff that you can do. Yeah, GSU too. It's all like they have an API doc, but it's basically like here is how to do it. Like run this one line GSU tool command and this is the JSON that it generates. It's not here is the documentation for the JSON API. So if any of you out there in Laravel land are having problems with Google stuff, Michael's the man you need to talk to. <laughs> Freelance work. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we're going to wrap this up in one minute. So we're going to make it quick. Okay. In version 5.5, there was also something pushed out for pivot casting. So uh, what you can do is on a model, you can have an attribute called casts. And let's give an example here. So let's say you have an array of roles. So for I'm doing this, for example, in one of my applications where it's, it's just a really simple, trivial thing where I need to have a couple roles for users and then I can check that. So it's an array, but I want to store it as such in my database. And I just have like a, uh, like a text field or something like that. So I cast that roles attribute to a, an array uh, in my model. And when it does that, it'll serialize that array, push it into that field. And then when it gets it out, it'll deserialize it. So on pivots, you can store additional information. So if you had users and posts, you have user ID, post ID, you can also store other columns in there uh, on that pivot table. And in the case that you wanted to have, let's just use the same example. Let's say you wanted to store roles or something like that on that table, which wouldn't make sense at all in this example of posts and users, but let's say you did. Uh, what used to happen is you could take it out of that table and it would respect that casts attribute. But when you were putting it into that table, you had to manually do the serialization of that array in order to store it on there. And now in level 5.5, there's been a pull request pulled in that it will take care of that for you, the both the serializing and the deserializing for those pivot attributes. So that was the last thing on our list. Uh, there's a pod, not a podcast. Yeah, there's a podcast out there for it. There's a blog post out there for it. Michael is still looking for the Google stuff. He cannot find it, which means it does not exist. That's or the Amazon stuff. stuff. Yeah, That's oh, three stuff, and I've it does not it. exist. He can't find it. Oh, I've got it. Don't you worry. It'll be in the show Oh, notes. he's got it. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, uh, everyone, thanks so much again for listening. Good to, good to hear your, yeah, I don't know. Not good to hear. Not good to hear from anybody or see from anybody. We don't do either of those things. <laughs> Michael, good to see you. Good, good to, to see, see you again too. and hear you. I get to see you on Google Hangouts. Yeah. yeah, it's it's been a little while. We spent a couple of days with each other, and then we had we had to have three weeks apart. So. <laughs> yep, I know. I know. As always, thank you very much for listening. You can reach us on Twitter at Laravel News if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes. You can also reach us on our personal Twitter accounts. And if you could like and rate the show five stars on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, that would be much appreciated. It helps with discovery of the show for new listeners. All right, everyone. We will see you in a few weeks. And thanks again for listening so much to the Laravel News Podcast. We'll see you later. Goodbye, all.
Never done anything with Redis. I swear. This is this like today is like the day of interruptions. You know, <laughs> phone calls. I've got three in the last like minute and a half here. So hey, it happens, right? It happens. No big deal. 